If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1 is where we are going to be. Um, Last week we kind of gave an overview of chapter 1 and also really kind of an overview of the first several chapters of what we will find within this study, this new study, Come Alive, the Empowering of the Church. So uh, once you find your Bibles, um, uh, you don't have to stand at this time, but go ahead and follow along with me. Uh, we're going to read the first 14 verses together this morning, and that's where we'll be in the message. So just go ahead and follow along with me. I think the words will be up here as well, and you can kind of follow along as I'm reading. The Bible says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. So again, Luke is the primary author of the book of Acts. He had wrote or written the book of uh, Luke, and this is really a continuation of the book. It's a second part. Um, all that Jesus began to both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that through the Holy Ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. This is right after Jesus died and rose again victoriously. Uh, after the many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. So he had a mission for them. He wanted them to stay. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, talking about his ascension back into heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you in, uh, into heaven, shall so come in like manner um, as ye have seen him go up into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come to in, and they went into the upper room, where they bowed with Peter and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, uh, Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication uh, with the women, with Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So last week we started this series, Come Alive, the Empowering of the Church. And we, we set up this message last week in this series. And, and one of the things that I said, and it's really still applicable for this morning is this. God doesn't necessarily have a mission for his church, but he did make the church for his mission. And we have to realize that. We have to understand that. And two simple things that we talked about last week by way of review is this, that with the apostles, with the disciples, with those early followers of Jesus Christ, they were so captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they couldn't help but to tell other people about Jesus. And and I think one of the things that I said, it's, it's they, they were so excited about it that they really, they couldn't shut up about it. You know, all of us have been there where we've been excited about something and we just have to tell other people about what we experienced or what just happened to us. 
That's what happened in this early group of believers. The message of Jesus Christ, the message of gospel, the gospel had so captivated their hearts and minds that they wanted to tell anyone and everyone about it. And that was the first truth we looked at, that the message of the gospel captured their hearts and minds. But the second thing was this, the apostles yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's guidance. And that is still key to us today, some 2,000 years later. Excuse me. We must be completely yielded, surrendered, submitted to the Holy Spirit's guidance. And many of us today, we are only yielded to our own stubbornness, to what we want to do. And look, I am just as guilty as anyone in here today. But it's not about you doing what you want to do. It's about you surrendering, submitting to the Holy Spirit who is greater than you. And that's what we're going to see in this passage this morning. As Jesus is leaving, he doesn't leave us empty-handed. Aren't you thankful for that? He left us with a comforter. He left us with power. He left us with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to jump right into it this morning. Verse number one, again, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The first thing we see is this. Jesus is only beginning. Jesus is only beginning. Look, the Christian life is not an easy life to live, is it? And sometimes it seems downright impossible. It's impossible to live it in our own strength. I like what Major Ian Thomas, former preacher, used to say. He said, we can't. He, Jesus, never said we could. But he can. And he always said he would. And that's the truth that we need to realize, that what Jesus gave us, he will continue. And we need to understand that Jesus is only beginning. As, as Luke is writing this, 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 uh, this continuation of his gospel of Luke, he's saying to Theophilus and really to us today, everything that Jesus began both to do and teach when he was here on this earth, that was not the finality of it. Once he left to go into heaven, all right, everything is done. It's all over. That's not it. It was just the beginning. There's still so much more for us to learn, to hear, to grow. And the thing we have, to re we have to realize is that Jesus wants his work to continue. He wants his kingdom to continue. What Jesus began to do with the Gospels, he wants to continue here in our church today. But we must come alive. We must allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. And really, when you think of the word began, where it says Jesus began, this implies continuation. The thing that jumps right off the page to me is this. It's an unfinished story. The story of Jesus Christ is an unfinished story. Yes, we have uh, the, the book and we have what's going to happen at the end, but the work is still continuing. And Jesus has invited the church not to do it necessarily for him, but to join him as we work through him and his leading. I want you to understand something. In the early days of Christianity, it wasn't a religion. In fact, it was anti-religion. It was people rejecting religion to choose Jesus Christ. But today, we put religion on a pedestal. Well, I am a Baptist. I am this. I am that. I am a very religious person. Who cares? When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came to abolish, abolish religious tendencies, didn't he? And he came to bring us a relationship with him. 
a relationship that we can have that sets Christianity apart from any other religious group. You see, over the years, here's what we've done. We have blended Jesus in with the very thing that the early church rejected. We are so hung up on our own religious tendencies and practices, and we get so irritated. I went to Indiana this past week, uh, the annual golf uh, trip that I go to with a bunch of uh, just preachers and Christian men from a number of churches. And the, the thing that, that is glaring to me is just, and it's not a bash, but the thing that is glaring to me is just talking to many of them is, is the fact that they are so hung up on religious tendencies. They're so hung up on religious traditions that really aren't even biblical. Now, I had a great time of fellowship. I really did. I enjoyed it. But we have made Christianity more about religion and less about the relationship. But you know what? When Jesus Christ came here and left the earth the first time, he didn't come here to give us a new religion. <laughs> Did he, Mike? He came here to give us a relationship, a relationship that we can have with him. And we have made Christianity less about the relationship that we have with Jesus and more about religious traditions that we must keep, that we must keep in order to be, to be good, to be holy, to be righteous. We've got it all wrong. Verse number three, it says, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Look, Jesus Christ wasn't a hoax. This truly was the risen Christ. And during these 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus does some intense teaching and training about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is really teaching and training about his agenda. And his agenda is this, to advance his kingdom. And if you're a Christian today, as we've already talked about in other series, you have been called out. You have been made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said this, I believe I said this last week, but here's the thing. Jesus has an agenda. His agenda is to advance his kingdom. I think Amanda talked about that before she sang her song, to glorify Christ, that his name go forward. But we have set it up about our agenda, advancing our agenda, what we want to do. Uh, the church is it's antiquated, it's, it's, it's out of date with society. You know, we, we need to change, we need to adapt. There are certain things we need to change and adapt, but we don't need to change and adapt God's word. It's still true today as it was 2,000 years ago. We must follow it. And it's not about becoming a 21st century Christian. It's about going back to the first century model. It's about being a biblical Christian. Look, when we think about our agenda versus Christ's agenda, my agenda is disappointing, but his is fulfilling. My agenda is small, while God's is big. My story is limited to my limited perspective. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus is only beginning. We continue on, verse number four. And being assembled together with him, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait. So he wanted them to stay where they were. There are times, now I think some people take passages like this and just run with them. Hey, we just have to sit still and just wait for God. Yes, but we also have to be active. We have to understand the balance there. 
Now, I've talked to many Christians over the years that are just sitting still and waiting for some miraculous sign to happen before they step up and do anything, I guess. Before they step up and do anything in their faith. But that's not the message of the Bible. There are times that we must wait. But our faith is not a passive faith, is it? Our faith should be an active faith, a moving faith. Now, when God says wait, we should wait. Because if we don't, we are getting our agenda ahead of his. And we find the balance of that by studying his word, by listening to preaching and teaching. But Jesus wanted them to wait. Why? Because it says, for the promise of the Father. So what we see here in verse number four is this. Jesus has a game plan. Uh, anyone that has ever played sports, you understand the coach typically has a game plan for how they believe the, the season is going to unfold or how they want that game to, to go or a group of games. They have an end goal in mind. And with Jesus, it's no different. Again, his purpose is to advance his kingdom. But in order to do that, something first had to happen. They had to wait. I think of it in relation to sports. You know, you want to win championships. That's the, that's the goal of every team at the start of the year. But you don't start the year, you know, where you are at the end of the year. You have to, you have to build up. You have to grow. You have to strengthen. You have to get better. You know, waiting isn't always a bad thing. And that, that phrase where it says, wait for the promise of the Father, you know what that is? You know what they're waiting for? The Holy Spirit. Jesus told them to sit still. And it seems like a strange request. But listen, to not wait would mess up the entire game plan. And this is an essential. You cannot be, listen, you cannot be an effective Christian if you are not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be an effective Christian today if you are not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're operating in the power of self, you will not be an effective Christian. Oh, you might be an effective businessman or businesswoman, but who cares about that? It's not about that. It's about his kingdom. Look, there is a plan in place, and Jesus is indicating to us that the Holy Spirit's coming would not just be ritual, but reality. And the importance of this verse has so many applications for us today. It's very important to get out of God's way and allow him to lead us, him to guide us. The disciples were waiting, expecting the kingdom of God to happen right then and there when you study out the scriptures. They were hoping that, okay, Jesus rose victoriously. So, hey, is the kingdom of heaven, is, is the kingdom of God starting now? Is it, is it starting now? And he's like, no, just wait. There's still work to be done. Listen to me. We can have confidence in his power, but we cannot have control over his timeline. Let me say that again. We can have confidence in his plan and his power, but we cannot have control over his timeline. His timeline is better than our timeline. We have confidence in his power because his power is supernatural. His power is limitless. In God's journey, there are waiting times and there are also working times. And in order to harvest, we have to wait for the cultivation to be complete. We continue on, verse number five this morning. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Again, when the Holy Ghost came upon them, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Kind of what we we're just talking about. 
And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8, this is the theme verse for the whole book of, the, uh, the book of Acts. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I'm going to stop right there because we're going to finish that verse in just a second. But here's the point I want to make in these three or four verses. Jesus Christ is able to enable. Jesus Christ is able to enable. In verse number five, John had baptized with water. This is a ritual. This is a shadow. This is a picture. But the reality will be the actual spirit himself coming to live in the hearts of a believer when they trust Jesus Christ as their savior. But here's the mistake of the church. The church, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them, to move them, to allow his power to control them, the church over the years thinks it's all about the programming. We have to have all this special programming to get people to come in, to get people to worship God. We've got it all wrong, people. The church thought its task was programming the work of God. You know, we're setting up timetables and establishing structures. And again, there's nothing wrong with that to an extent. We're trying to systematically carry out certain things. But the reason we have never really been able to do that is because it's not in our own authority that the church goes forward. The reason the church goes forward is when the Holy Spirit comes upon a place and empowers them to go forward, when the church is unified together. And that's a theme that we will see in this first chapter and the several chapters preceding, that we will see a church that is truly unified, bonded together. And I would dare say that there are people today, and I look out and I see it today, and it's just frustrating. I see people that I dare say are not unified with one another. It might be families, it might be friends, it might be relationships. There are people that are not unified together with the Holy Spirit, with his church. And we wonder again why the church struggles, becomes stagnant. Because we are not unified. And what we see over and over is a unity within the church, within the group of believers. Look, the Father... <laughs> has kept, or, 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 uh, he, he has given us his authority. He has given us his power. He says, I'm going to give you supernatural power, supernatural help. And that's, it's a resurrection power. You know, the power that, that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. And, and this power is unmatched and unstoppable. You know, it's, it's not even close, but you know, you, you plug something into a, to a light socket, you get power from that light socket. The power we get from Jesus is untapped. It's unmatched, and yet we're like, we can't do the work of God today. It's so difficult out there. There's rioting, there's looting, there's craziness. God's work can't continue. Yes, it can. Because Jesus Christ is able to enable, and he has enabled us, but we are really just stupid. I know you're laughing. You're like, I can't believe you'd say that. But we are. We're stupid because we think we can do it in our own strength. We think it's all about us. But it's not about us. 
And I know I get amped up sometimes, and it's really, it's about myself too. I get frustrated with myself because instead of relying on the supernatural power that Jesus has enabled me with, I rely on my own strength. And that's why I mess up things. That's why I mess up my marriage. That's why I mess up my family. That's why I mess up relationships. That's why I mess up the church, because I rely on my own power instead of the supernatural power. When Jesus Christ has enabled us, he is able. He has given us everything we need. And, and who knows, this could very well be the end times. I mean, let's get real. We don't know. We could have another hundred years. We, we don't know. But whether this is the end times or not, when are we going to wake up? When are we going to wake up and actually do what God has called us to do? When are we going to wake up and come alive like the first century church that was moved by the message we're more moved by a, by a party. <laughs> We're more moved by, you know, some program. Instead of being moved by the message of Jesus Christ and allowing him <laughs> to enable us. You know, you think about it. You know, you wake up, you're tired. I, I get tired. I get tired a lot. What do you need? You need coffee. You need a spark. You need a bang. You need some kind of energy. But the energy we need, we already have. The Holy Spirit. And in verse number 8, look what he says. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Let's put it in the Texas vernacular. Y'all are going to be my witnesses. <laughs> Y'all are going to be my witnesses. Warren Wearsby said, witness is the key word of the book of Acts. It's used 29 times as either a verb or a noun. A witness is somebody who tells what he has seen and heard. When you're on the witness stand in court, the judge is not interested in your own ideas or opinions. He only wants to hear what you know. Our English word martyr comes from the Greek word translated witness. And many of God's people in the centuries sealed their witnesses by laying down their lives. You see, the result of this untapped power is life-changing. It's not the result of propaganda that's being spread around. It's not the result of fake news. We are not spreading a biased view as is going on in our society today. Biased views are being spread. The gospel is not a biased view. We are not witnessing of ourselves. Hey, let me witness of what I can do of who I am, of my talents, of my abilities. You're going to receive power, so why? So you'll be my witnesses, Jesus Christ witnesses. Listen to me. The mark of a false church, listen to this. The mark of a false church is that it loves to talk about itself. And these early Christians never witnessed about the church. They witnessed about the Lord what he could do, how he could work, <laughs> what an amazing person he was, how amazing his power was. And really, I think about this, and again, I'm guilty of this. We've got it all wrong today. Sometimes we try to promote our church based on what we have. Hey, come to our church because we have this and another church doesn't. Come to our church because we have people here that like each other and this church doesn't. They attack each other. <laughs> we got it all wrong. Why don't we just invite people to come to church because this is where the power of the Holy Spirit is. 
It's a foreign concept, I know, right? You know, we're trying to be like salesmen, getting people into the doors. I'm pretty sure the early Christians weren't trying to like make a sales pitch about how great their church was, about how great their Bible study was. The 20th century church is often talking about what the church is, how great it is, what it ought to be doing. It has its eyes focused on itself. But that's not true of the early church. They were witnesses to him. And here's what I'm getting at this morning. Jesus Christ is able to enable us. He's enabled his church to witness of him, of his glory, of his power, of his grace. But the verse continues, verse number eight. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. The next thing we see is this. Jesus is building new people. You see, everything we read going forward in the book of Acts revolves around this verse. This is the key to a church on commission and a church that's been made alive. You think about this mission. It's a lofty mission. I'm sure the disciples were thinking like, wait, what? We've got to go in the whole world and preach the gospel? And I'm sure Jesus is like, yep. And you don't even know how big the world is. <laughs> you know, today there are over, what, seven plus billion people in this world. And we think, how can we fulfill this purpose today? But let me tell you something. I guarantee you that the purpose of the church to go out, witness, evangelize, win people to the Lord, make disciples, will never be accomplished. Listen, I guarantee you the purpose of the church will never be accomplished when you do nothing. I guarantee it. People aren't going to change by, oh, I just, whatever. Just annihilate them all, just kill them all. How are they going to change? How are they going to change is when we go out and do what Christ has called us to do, to, hey, be my witnesses, to witness of Jesus Christ, to witness of the gospel. You know, thinking things are impossible doesn't help. Well, yeah, it's impossible if you're doing it in your strength, but you don't do it in your strength. You do it in supernatural strength, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have all the power we need, even with the growing population. And those people in the early church witnessed of Jesus Christ the good news of the gospel. They started in Jerusalem, went to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And really, you know, we, we talk about it and we'll flip it here in just a minute, but, you know, we are the recipients of that ends of the earth today. But flipping the script for us, our Jerusalem, our town, our city, our county, our state, our country, other places. It's not just one and that's it. It's all inclusive. I know I talked a lot, but really I don't know about that. It's not just one, right? It's all of them together. It's Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts. And the narrative of the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit empowers over and over and over again. And the gospel grows and multiplies and is spread. And it, it, it reaches 
far places that we can't even fathom. Now, is it just a mandate to witness? No. You see, there's a new identity in this verse, and that's why I said Jesus is building new, new people. And I want you to listen to this and get this down. We don't have the option of not being witnesses. We simply have the option of deciding what kind of witness we will be. We don't have the option of not being witnesses. Well, I don't really know much about what I'm supposed to say to people, so I guess I just won't do anything, and I'll come. That's not an option for a Christian. And here's the truth. We will either be an accurate witness of Jesus Christ or an inaccurate witness of Jesus Christ. That's the option for the Christian. That's the option for the church. The purpose is clear. The mission is clear. There is no distinction of who gets the gospel. (laughs) Well, it's only for this ethnic group. And these people can go to hell. That's what some people say. I've heard pastors say those things. Well, that's wrong. That's unbiblical. The gospel is for all ages, all all classes, all ethnicities, slaves and free. It makes no difference. I don't know who said this, but I read this. In Christ, there is no east or west. In him, there is no north or south but one great fellowship in love throughout the whole wide world. So Jesus is building new people. And he has called us as his church today, if you are saved, to come alive, to take the message to everywhere you go, to spread it. You know, like the virus, we're trying to slow the spread. Christians have done a great job of slowing the spread of the gospel, to be honest. Over the past 50 years, we have done amazing at slowing the spread of the gospel. That's the reality. Because we've done nothing. We've, in a sense, we've put our mask on. So the gospel can't spread from us. Nobody's going to get it from me. Let's be real. It's time that the Christians take their proverbial mask off and spread the gospel. So people get it. So people catch what Jesus is doing and who he is. We continue on, verse number 9. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to go back into heaven. Verse number 9, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. What, What a sight this must have been. He ascends up into heaven and a cloud receives him out of their sight and While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood there in white apparel. Hey, what are you doing? Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner. He's coming back, and the thing that we realize in this verse is this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus' ascension was an important part of his ministry. If Jesus never went to heaven, we would never have the Holy Spirit here. And imagine, just imagine standing in the presence of Jesus as, as he starts levitating, really. <laughs> I mean, probably freak a lot of people out. He's just levitating into heaven. You're like, whoa, what just happened there? He had just given him the mandate, just given him the mission, and all of a sudden he's gone. Disappears into the clouds. And they're kind of like, uh, 
And all of a sudden you have these two angels like, hey, what are you guys doing? He already told you what to do. So go do it. He is coming back. We don't know when, but he's going to come back. What a promise that is. And Luke is stressing the hope of Christ's return. What a contextualizing promise that suddenly the things that we think matter don't matter in light of Christ's return. And it's time that we get serious about Jesus because we don't know when he's coming back. Every generation has said it could be this generation. It very well could. We don't know. As Jesus already told the disciples, it's not for you to know. But things are lining up more now than they have in the past 100, 200, 2,000 years. And the reality that we're looking at here in these verses is that what really what the, the, I think the angels are telling us, say, don't get caught up in this temporal world because Jesus is coming back. So focus on the mission that he has given you. And the final thing we see this morning is this. To what Jesus says and what Jesus tells us to do. Verse number 12. Then return they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went to the upper room where they abode with Peter and James and John and many of the other disciples. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and Mother Jesus and with his brethren. And what we see here is that Jesus tells us to continue. These disciples, these early Christians, these early followers of Christ continued in three things, unity, community, and prayer. Jesus sent them back and said, continue what I've already started. Look, we need each other. We are part of that collective body of Christ. We need each other. And I know we're a lot of imperfect people, and it's hard to love imperfect people. But we need each other because it's not about us. So especially within our own local church, forget about other churches, in our own local church, it's time that we focus on getting unified, building up that community, so that we, as our local church, can go and spread and be carriers of the gospel. You know, several years ago when we had stopped some things, one thing we had started, and we'll start it back up here next couple months, but is that upper room prayer time, I called it. And the reason we started that upper room prayer time is because I wanted to have a time that we met together and prayed together, and we're unified together as we we're preparing to worship Jesus and preparing to worship him in the service to come in just a few minutes. And, you know, it started out strong, and I think it was very good, and then it kind of dwindled. I think some people, just like anything, just kind of got grew weary of it. I don't need that, but we do. We need a church that is praying together. That is unified together. I know Brother Mike has some ideas with that with the teens. But we need a church that prays together, that is unified together. You know, community is great, and having fellowships is great. And I've, I've loved our Wednesday night stuff. I really have. But that's just one aspect of it. And the key to this, these verses is this. They continued with one accord. It's not enough for Christians to have faith in the Lord. They must also have faith in one another. These 
120 people that are gathered together. The Lord gave them responsibility to be a witness to a lost world because none of them could do the job alone. It wasn't the time to say, who's the greatest? (laughs) Or who committed the greatest sin? (laughs) It was time to pray together, to stand together in the Lord. And that's what we need for our church today. With all the unparalleled times that we are facing, it is time that our church, again, band together, unite together, pray together. And honestly, it shouldn't even be me like forcing it. All right, we're going to pray at 8.30 in the morning. It'd be awesome if people just said, hey, let's just start praying, and then groups started forming, (laughs) wouldn't it? But we have to be coaxed into it. We have to be pushed into it. I guess I'll go. I got nothing else to do. There's no, nothing on Facebook, so I guess I'll go and pray. <laughs> Let me remind you of something that I said last week. Look, the most important thing about movements, we talked about the church being a movement. The most important thing about movements is what? Movements move. We have been given the power. We are the plan of God, and there is no plan B. There's not one verse in the book of Acts where the gospel advances to the lost apart from a human agent. I like what David Platt says. He says, the purpose of the church is to mobilize a people to accomplish a mission. You see, when we are at our worst, we can still see Jesus at our best. So as we just get to this first 14 verses of Acts chapter 1, I'm encouraging you to look up and take hope, not that he's gone, but that he's coming back and that he has called us to be alive. And I close with this. Our going, our purpose, our calling is not optional. It's urgent. The greatest ministry in our church happens outside these walls you. It's not another kid program. It's not another adult program. It's not another Bible study. It's you and me being the church and going out there into the world that desperately needs it, that desperately needs the hope of Jesus Christ.